You want to make someone from Gaza smile in the midst of their great pain? They're running out of ways to crush the cells. This is Imam Omar Suleiman, scholar and civil rights leader who shared his personal experiences and reflections as a leading Palestinian Muslim voice speaking up for justice from an Islamic paradigm. So I was giving the khutbah and three people embraced Islam at the end. I have everything, yet I feel empty. They have nothing, but they look so full. What is that? What is, what that? is that? All part of this episode of Empowered by Islam 21C, a new weekly podcast where we collaborate with leading voices to discuss Islam solutions to 21st century challenges and trends. I met him to discuss his special message for UK Muslims at our biggest ever Islam 21C event, Unbreakable Ummah from home to Palestine. Check out annualdinner.co.uk to join us in a city near you with a three-course meal, talks from Sheikh Haytham al-Haddad, Sheikh Sajid Omar, Sheikh Yasser Qadi, Sheikh Omar Suleiman, and Hamza Tortis, as well as our new short film premiere, new book launch, and more. So one of the projects I've actually been working on is a poetry book and it is the poetry of my mother, may Allah have mercy on her. And I was about halfway through translating, her poetry is all in Arabic, translating, subhanAllah, when October 7th happened. And it just so happens, I could actually show you, subhanAllah, on my phone, that the last poem that I was working on was Atfal Palestine, the children of Palestine. And subhanAllah, there is something deeply profound about the way that this cause has been nurtured in our hearts. You know, when the Sahaba said that they would learn the seerah of the Prophet or that they would teach the seerah to their children the way they would teach them the Qur'an. Mm. The seerah is a practical example of the Qur'an. The Prophet the Messenger of Allah, is the message manifested. And right now we're seeing in the people of Palestine, specifically the people of Gaza, we're seeing this message manifested through their certainty through their following the example of mm. the most perfect messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and there's something to be said about that like what do you pour into the vessel what, what kind of tarbiyah have they been receiving yeah, yeah you know and there's one line you know so so one of these poems uh, she mentions something that subhanallah I, I i cannot shake and i think about it often and I'm in Ardi Palestine, Nabatu, Afi Kulil Ardi Zuritu, Wari Kalimati Allahu Akbar Sajatu. And I think that if there's ever a, uh, an anthem, you know, when, when <laughs> Palestine is, is reclaimed, inshallah ta'ala, um, this idea that, and I'm in Ardi Palestine, Nabatu, Afi Kulil Ardi Zuritu, that I was planted, rooted in Palestine, but I grew in every single part of the earth. But I only bow down to Allahu Akbar, Wari Kalimati Allahu Akbar Sajatu. The entire story of the people of Gaza is a story of resilience because of revelation. They're people of Qur'an. You will find more hifad in Gaza than any other part of Palestine in probably more than any other part of the Arab world, by the way. You'll find more hifad of Qur'an there. They're people of resilience because of revelation. And they refuse to be broken and they refuse to bow down except to Allahu Akbar. And it doesn't matter what bomb is dropped on them. It doesn't matter what, what comes towards them. SubhanAllah. They are unbreakable. And so that, you know, just on a personal level, when, when I think about my own mother, may Allah have mercy on her, Amen. and then my, my father, may Allah preserve him, Amen. who is older than Israel, uh, alhamdulillah, by several years. <laughs> and growing up, my mom was the poet. My, my father was the activist, right? He used to take out newspaper ads. I actually posted mm. one of those recently. But... That was something that I saw in both of them. They never got comfortable. You see, there's this idea that the refugee story is escape, 
persecution, leave behind your trauma, move on. And it's very easy to become complacent, to become mm -hmm. comfortable, and just, to just say, like, I'm done. You know, I've, I've, I've been able to move past this. But subhanAllah, they were never comfortable. They were never complacent with the status quo. And that has to be the situation of the ummah. And so we have the strongest part of the body right now in Gaza, the strongest part of the body in Palestine, mm. the beating heart of the ummah right now. And the rest of the body has to show up, has to carry its weight. Yeah. And so the rest of the body can't sleep while the heart beats in Gaza. And I think that this is an opportunity for us, inshallah, to really reclaim the concept of an ummah. Have we ever felt more ummatic uh, than we do right now? Yeah. Alhamdulillah. That is a silver lining of this all. A very painful time in our ummah, but also um, a very important opportunity for us to really rethink who we are and to come back uh, to where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to be. Yeah. So you mentioned your father, Hafidhullah, he's, you know, he's been the, more the activist. He's probably obviously had a, a, a profound impact on yourself in your community you know, growing up. Can you share some examples of how, in your opinion, activism for the Palestinian cause actually bears fruits because someone might say it's easy to get disheartened say oh, what's the point you know what can we do we're just weak and, that, and kind of internalizing that victimhood almost and being in a kind of in a disempowering way I think the Palestinian is always the underdog right so in the nasa jama'u the people have gathered against you they're underdogs at home and they're underdogs abroad they are always told that the system is too large that your opponents are too well equipped mm. for you to be able to make any progress. Yet that has failed to stifle the resistance at home and the activism and resistance abroad, right, to the occupation. It's failed. And that in and of itself is a sign of Iman. So on a personal level, subhanAllah, I remember growing up, uh, my father's a university professor, and he'd be on a panel and it would be like four Zionists and him, <laughs> and he would demolish them, even though you know, English wasn't his first language. Um, and the panel was stacked and public opinion was what it was and is what it is today, right? Mm -hmm. SubhanAllah, it was always, no, we, we have the truth on our side. The truth is on our side. Therefore, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will cause it to prevail. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, when I had a very similar type of debate, I won't mention the university name uh, just to not uh, invoke that, but. Uh, it was a university that's particularly Zionist in the United States. And I had a similar situation, so I actually called up my, my father and I asked him for advice. I said, like, how do, I, how do I go about this? And he said, well, what you do is you start off with the boldest of truth. As soon as the debate starts, when everyone goes through introductions, because we know how this usually goes, especially in the United States, mm -hmm. I'm sure you've noticed that we have a lot of the, the courtesies and the you know, beating around the bush. We're not like the Canadians, but we do a lot of the, uh, you know, the courtesies and the opening remarks and stuff like that. He said, don't do that. Mm. He said, go straight for it. Get right into straight it. Straight for the jugular. Straight for the jugular. Talk right, right to the facts. Speak to the facts. And the outrage surrounding the situation right now of our brothers and sisters mm. in Palestine. So the Palestinians are always the underdogs, right? They're always the underdogs at home, they're always the underdogs abroad. Yet, subhanAllah, it is the cause that always recalibrates the entirety of the Ummah. Mm -hmm. Despite the Abraham Accords, despite the normalization with Israel at governmental levels, 
despite the political and media establishments that try to pretend that they are opposed to Islamophobia as soon as Palestine happens, though you see their real faces. Yeah. Despite all of that, it always rises. And alhamdulillah, um, it has not died. And it is accurate to say that while Palestine is not free, the Palestinians are a free people. Alhamdulillah, I mean, you don't find, and by the way, I'll, I'll say this because it's important. Within the scope of Palestinian activism and consciousness, with Palestinians themselves and outside, this is a cause that actually brings people back to their deen. And so mm -hmm. I've noticed this within Palestinian communities where people you know, started to slip away with their deen, but the cause of Al-Aqsa and the cause of Palestine is directly tied to the cause of Islam. And so it brings them back to their faith. And then you see it in the broader sense with Muslims as a whole because this is not a nationalistic cause. This is our cause as an ummah. Yeah. It brings people back to their faith. So it's, it's one and the same. You yeah. come back to Palestine you come back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because mm. Palestine reminds you of the reality of this world. Uh, and it reminds me of, um, you know, the very famous incident with, with Rib'i ibn Amr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Kalimatu haqqa inda sultan al-ja'ar, speaking of word, a word of truth in the face of a tyrant. Mm -hmm. uh, when he's speaking to Rustam of Persia, and he says, in Allah ta'atana li nukhrij al-ibad min ibadati al-ibad ila ibadati rabbi al-ibad wa min dhiq al-dunya ila sa'at al-dunya wa al-akhirah. Very famous statement, right? And he ties together three things. Allah took us from being the slaves of other slaves to the slaves of the Lord of all slaves. And from the constriction of this life to the expanse of this life and the hereafter and from the injustice of all other ways to the justice of Islam. Those things are inextricable. And so when you come back to the reality of Palestine, you actually come back to the reality of faith as a whole, if you're approaching it the right way. Mm. I mean, that's, uh, it, it reminds me a few weeks ago, the 12th of November is East Turkestan uh, National Day. It's, it's kind of uh, commemorated as uh, the first Islamic Republic you know, on earth. And we had a, an event in, in London, kind of um, um, launching like a Uyghur-led uh, East Turkestan society um, from uh, Uyghur scholars and Duat and Talab al mashallah from a completely Islamic perspective and in his speech one of the Mashaykh Sheikh uh, Abdul Karim he said you know Palestine is our cause East Turkestan is our cause and it just kind of goes to show that these people have faced genocide and their family members are putting put, put in concentration camps you know uh, unbelievable horrors of, of uh, Uyghurs are facing that he feels you know that Palestine is his cause as well can and I speak to that sentiment for a moment yeah. you know how we always call out hypocrisy with people who are uh, you know on the side of the oppressed on everything but Palestine yeah there's something to be said about people that are pro-Palestinian but that justify the Uyghur genocide that yeah. are uh, Assadists that justify the Syrian genocide. Uh, we have to be consistent. And so yeah. we can't betray one cause of the Ummah for another cause. This mm. is something that we at least have to hold ourselves to in terms of a standard. Yeah. And so when, when brothers and sisters are being oppressed anywhere, at the end of the day, the sanctity of your brother or sister, whether in Syria or an Uyghur brother or sister or a Yemeni brother or sister or mm. anywhere in the world, Kashmir, um, 
India, right? Wherever they are, Somalia, the Burmese, the mm -hmm. list goes on and on, right? Mm -hmm. The sanctity of that individual is greater than even the sanctity of Al-Aqsa. Because it's even greater than the sanctity of the Kaaba, and the mm -hmm. Kaaba is more sacred mm -hmm. than Al-Aqsa. So it's important for us to maintain that consistency because we see the yeah. hypocrisy outside of our community. Mm. Let's not ingest the hypocrisy that we hate so much and suddenly excuse right, the, mm. the atrocities that have been committed to other mm. sectors of this ummah uh, in the name of Palestine. So Palestine is a pure cause. It doesn't need that hypocrisy. It is the cause that causes masks to fall. right? So we don't put up some other masks so that we mm. can you know, further embolden our cause. It doesn't work that way. So I actually mm. appreciate that. Um, when we see that consistency from others yeah. as well, because sometimes you find yeah. people that support those other causes, but then on Palestine, within yeah. the Ummah as yeah. well, it's sad, right? They'll suddenly- I remember seeing scenes from Gaza of people standing up for our older brothers and sisters as well. Absolutely. You know? So it, it, it goes both ways. For, and I think it speaks to the fact that we, we need to embolden this voice of our Ummah that speaks about its causes from its own paradigm, its own lens. Right. Because those people you mentioned that might be quiet on Palestine, but uh, loud on uh, East Turkestan or, or the other way around, they, they're kind of, either they're not Muslim, they have their own kind of political agenda, they hate China, so they want to attack China, or right. they're Muslims who have just kind of absorbed that thing. And we need to you know, launch our own narrative and, and uh, spread our own narrative from our own, uh, from our own perspective, and that's the, the, the cause of Palestine is, what you said, it kind of resonated because uh, I remember Sheikh Abdurrahim Green, I don't know if you saw his, the, the, um, the episode we did with him a few weeks ago, and that was, he's actually talking about how Palestine was central to his conversion to Islam. Oh, I, I never even knew that. Oh, and his vision for life in terms of da'wah, it came from a Palestinian brother who, you know, he, they, they went and visited Palestine, a, de a delegation of British Muslims from the 80s or something, and they were like, what can we do? And the, the, the brother who was driving them around, who they asked, what can we do to help the Palestinian cause? His answer showed some vision himself. He said, to help Palestine, call your people to Islam. You know? SubhanAllah. And this is Abdurrahim Green here. <laughs> Him and Dawah is like synonymous with the rest of history. So, uh, Because it's only the Muslims, it appears, that can give a consistent narrative for justice that's tethered to something outside of tribalism, you know, nationalistic interests, and all this kind of stuff. And it seems the world is kind of, uh, you know, crying out for this. You know so who understands that more than anyone else? People of Gaza. Mm. Uh, you know, someone made a comment early on in this and said, you know, Sheikh, it's not the time for da'wah, let's focus on the issue. <laughs> I said, the people of Gaza, you want to make someone from Gaza smile in the midst of their great pain? You tell them that their strong faith is causing other people to embrace the faith here in the United mm. States of America. That's how you make them smile. They know they're doing da'wah. Mm. And they know it, by the way. They know they're doing da'wah. I mean, can you imagine, subhanAllah, you're, you've got airstrikes falling on you nonstop. You've lost family members. You've seen the butchery in front of your eyes, you might be missing a few limbs, you're hungry, you're thirsty, you haven't gotten any sleep, you don't have health care, and you're thinking about da'wah. Mm -hmm. They're thinking about it. They're, they are 100% uh, 
inclined to not just live their faith beautifully, but to demonstrate it beautifully. You know, subhanAllah, you took that father, the grandfather, the, the, the video that has shaken so many people when he holds his, his, uh, his young girl and he says, the soul of my soul, right? And there's so many stories about him. I guarantee you that if you showed him the images of the people that are embracing Islam because of him, or that at least appreciate the beauty of Islam because of him, right? Just appreciate the faith. Like, what did it do for him? Mm. I guarantee you that same beautiful smile that we saw when he holds his, 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 his you know, granddaughter while she's alive, may Allah subhanahu wa unite them in the firdaus and a'ala. Allahumma ameen. It'll come again. It'll shine again. So they're doing da'wah. Mm. They, they know it. And so they know that the world is watching them even in their lowest point in, in their suffering, and they're demonstrating the greatest response. And what that's leading to is a lot of people that have emptiness in their lives, that have access to all the things that the people of Gaza don't, starting with security, right? The greatest blessing is security, starting with security and then food and drink and all those types of things. Yes, absolutely. Right? So it's, it's so much that you could go through. I have everything, yet I feel empty. They have nothing, but they look so full. What is that? What is that? Right? And so Alhamdulillah, they're inspiring people right and left. We're seeing them constantly come forward. And, you know, they're coming to the masjid now. You've seen them? Oh, yes. In fact, subhanAllah, I gave a khutbah a few weeks ago um, about an incident of the seerah, which is when the Prophet had to go and watch Abu Jahl torture uh, Ali Yasser, the family of Yasser, and, and other uh, slaves at the time. Um, Abu Jahl had basically set up a, a camp, a, a torture camp, where he took many of the weakest of the Muslims and he, mm-hmm. and he basically put them on display. And the family of Yasser was one family amongst them. And the Prophet would go there and he would say, Sabran ala Yasir, be patient, O family of Yasir, your promise, Jannah. And there are other um, people, Zanira radiallahu ta'ala anha, who Abu Jahl beat blind. And when some of his own people told him, like, what are you doing? Like, calm down a bit. And he said, uh, you know, that the gods made her blind. And she responded and she said, it's only Allah who gives sight and who takes away sight. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave her back her vision as a gift for her certainty, for her yaqeen in that moment, right? For her iman, her faith in that moment. So I was sharing this incident and I was, and, and, and the, the point of it at the end of it was that, you know, Abu Jahl thought that he was breaking the people of Islam, but he was really breaking his own image, which is very true about Israel today, right? And his own brother, so he had a half brother, Ayyash ibn Abi Rabi'ah, who embraced Islam, and then he has a full brother, Salama uh, ibn Hisham, who embraced Islam. And there's some scholarship that could possibly demonstrate a link between Abu Jahl's disgusting torture of the Muslims and their inspiring faith. And then his own full brother, like disgusted by it, his own brother, and inspired by the Muslims and embracing Islam. I think this is what's happening today. So I was giving the khutbah and three people embraced Islam at the end. And um, there was one brother Aaron, who I spoke to him afterwards, and, and he said, by the way, you just told my story. He, he said, I've been looking in Islam for a year, but it was Gaza that made it all click. So it was Gaza for him that, mm-hmm. that caused him to take that next step because he was just so inspired by these people. 
And there are many people like that. Many people like yeah. that. Not just on TikTok. I didn't know the, the story of you know. Abu Jahal's uh, um, brother and half-brother right. because of that. It's, it's also like the, the boy and the king, right? The boy sacrificed his, right. himself, his body, his life for his values to persist his, and spread in his, his deen. And this is what the people of Gaza are doing. Absolutely. You know, their values are spreading. And Israel is the last European colony in the, in the Middle East. It's, it, it feels like his days are numbered, inshallah. Suffered a huge loss on, 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 the, on a PR level. Uh, people who are n neutral, on sitting on the fence, uh, well, people who didn't know anything about it are now looking into the Palestine issue. As you said, many people are becoming Muslim. But Israel's public image is, it seems from, in the UK at least, and from what we can see, is, is really kind of being damaged. Oh, it's a PR nightmare for them, man. And by the way, you know who knows that better than anyone else is mm. the United States. Mm. One of the great fadihas, one of the great humiliations that came out about uh, the Biden administration is that one of the reasons why they feared the ceasefire is they feared that journalists would then be able to go in and sufficiently cover mm. the atrocities that were committed by Israel, but with American bombs and American sanction, right? Yeah. So Israel knows it, the United States knows it. That's why there's huge pressure on mainstream media, right? CNN cannot broadcast from the occupied territory now without permission from the IDF before they put anything out there. Um, and they agree to that condition as they go into Gaza, mm -hmm. whatever they cover from it. Um, you know, you've had uh, Elon Musk, of course, given his uh, uh, guided tour, right, of the occupation, mm. and then parroting the same propaganda, meta. So you have X, Twitter, whatever, Instagram, Facebook, um, all of these companies that are just cracking down right now. Uh, there was, there was a, a call that happened, I think, between um, uh, Sasha Cohen and uh, Deborah Messing and some f famous actors and actresses would like you know, TikTok execs where they were mm. pressuring TikTok to crack down on pro-Palestinian content. So it's like there's, there's a panic right now. Yeah. Uh, if you pull up this video right now and you search my name, you'll get pro-IDF ads. <laughs> they're, putting, they're running IDF ads yeah. on my name, right? So they're running out of ways to crush the sense. And alhamdulillah, that mm. is a glad tiding. Mm. They're trying to intimidate us on college campuses, students and professors. People are losing their jobs. People are losing, but they're gaining. They're gaining perspective and they're actually recommitting to the Palestinian cause. So the protests have not shrunk. Yeah. The activism is not shrinking. The response is actually growing, alhamdulillah. I mean, the chorus is getting louder mm. and broader. So they will fail. Inshallah ta'ala. They will fail. They are failing and they will fail. And it's important for us to just not lose steam. Mm. Because what they're counting on is for us to get tired and just to move on mm. and get distracted by something else. You know, there's such thing as protest fatigue, activism yeah. fatigue, even just our attention mm. spans are low. And that has an impact on the way in which we consume conflict and tragedy around the world. Right. Yeah. So at some point I want to go back to posting my food pictures on social media and talk about other things, right? Yeah. But they're counting on us to do that. And we have to, inshallah ta'ala, look at this moment in history for what it actually is. This mm -hmm. has to be a permanent turning point. You know, we've heard about, we've grown up hearing about the Nakba. My parents lived it. 
Um, a lot of people lived it, but most mm -hmm. of us, right, and, and you know, people in their 30s, 40s, uh, 50s have heard about the Nakba, have experienced it secondhand. Mm -hmm. What you're seeing now, from a casualty count perspective, when you're looking at the numbers of expulsion, what you're seeing now is arguably a greater catastrophe. So here's your opportunity. It's the Nakba in real time. Yeah. What would you have done then? What are you doing now? Have you, have you noticed a, 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 a sea change in the US political scene at least, or political, even mainstream media? What we noticed in the UK was it's becoming, it's different this time, right? And US has obviously has been a staunch ally of the, of the, of the Zionist entity. What have you noticed in, in terms of a sea change? Perhaps? Well, I think that the disconnect between the streets and the halls of Congress, between party politics and those that they claim mm -hmm. uh, have affiliation to them, uh, is, is more obvious than ever before. Mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. most Americans want a ceasefire, but you know, it's less than 20 members of Congress, and that's with all this pressure that have come around. So you still got 500 or so, right, that are still doing the exact opposite of what the American public actually wants, right, which is proving the points all along that they are not beholden to their constituents, they're beholden to their lobbies, mm. they're beholden to their donors, to their funders, uh, and their parties are, you know, corrupt and, um, you know, not representative and they as individuals are corrupt and not representative. So that gap has shown between the public and political parties. The gap between mainstream media and what people are finding online and are uh, circulating online, which shows you know, a different side than mm -hmm. what they're finding in legacy media. So that gap is now showing. Um, so I'd say that from the political establishment, no, the political establishment is as it always has been, Zionist corrupt empire, you know, <laughs> driven by uh, what, what you know, Malcolm X called American dollarism and European colonialism, Zionism being an extension of those two, right? Mm -hmm. It is what it always is, right? Two parties that cannot come together to get government to function for the people here somehow can always agree to fund a foreign government and its military ventures, mm -hmm. right? Despite all of the cries about its war crimes. So the political establishment is as it always has been. The media establishment is as it always has been. The people, however, are seeing something different now, alhamdulillah. Mm -hmm. And even now, a little bit of that is starting to seep into the mainstream media, right? It's becoming too loud to It's ignore. too much. Like how many dead children can you justify mm -hmm. to any sane human being, right? How many? How many dead children? Like, it was really telling when, when Wolf Blitzer was interviewing the IDF commander about the Jabaria, um, you know, strike, right? And the guy says, like, yeah, you know, we killed 400 people, but we got a Hamas commander. He's like, so you're saying you flattened a camp of 400 people and you might have got a Hamas commander? Mm -hmm. uh, so you're even seeing, like, it come out, even in the mainstream media a little bit, like, really? You know, and, and these are Zionist talking heads. So mm -hmm. the New York Times is starting to look a little bit different. You know, the, the, these papers, these, these press outlets are starting to look a little bit different because they cannot ignore altogether the atrocity. And what they do is they keep pulling on the emotional strings of the American public. 
right? And so they keep talking about the Israeli hostages. They keep talking about, you know, the pain that, that they are experiencing. And by doing so, you know, or just by emphasizing mm -hmm. that alone, you know, they completely erase Palestinian humanity. And so you have the stories of, of like Wadir, you know, six-year-old Palestinian child in Chicago. This is very early on, mm -hmm. by the way, subhanAllah, who was stabbed over 20 times by his landlord, directly incited by the President of the United States and by uh, the propaganda in the media about beheaded Israeli babies. So he wanted to go and behead a Palestinian baby. I mean, it's, it's a tough time because the gap is very wide, but the gap is also very obvious. And so, inshallah mm -hmm. ta'ala, Palestine will be a means by which you know, real change is made eventually uh, in every way. I was noting the other day that the people of Gaza, their resolve, not only is it bringing people back to Islam, um, rectifying people's, you know, relationship with Allah, it's also <laughs> fixing or highlighting the, the, the cracks in foreign governments and, and political establishments, you know, and, that, and then people in these countries, they're looking at their own mainstream media and saying, what the hell, why, why such a huge um, you know, double standard? Or looking at their politicians all of a sudden, like you said, coming together. And they're thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, so not only are they cleaning up the, 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 the Muslims in terms of finding out who's for the cause of the Ummah and who isn't, and bringing people back to Allah, but even <laughs> they're, 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 they're providing a, a path to fix and, and, and better uh, you know, other uh, countries and their yeah. I mean, look, the United States is going to eventually find out, if it hasn't already, that this is too costly mm -hmm. for it and mm -hmm. its diplomacy and everything that it hopes to be. At some point, it has to recognize, yeah. right, that it's not only losing the Arab street, right? Blinken used those words that, you know, in, in private meetings, I guess one of the leaks was that we're losing mm -hmm. the Arab street. Uh, if anyone's been to the Arab world, you've <laughs> lost the Arab street a long time ago. I mean, this is, you are long gone, yeah. right? I mean, you are hated, right? Yeah. And you are long gone. And people see right through your hypocrisy. And it is, I think, uh, beyond repairable uh, for, uh, for the Biden administration, yeah. right? Like, it's, you've lost the Arab street. You've lost the Muslim streets. And you're starting to lose the American streets as well because eventually the growing desperate population here that can't put food on the table is going to say, why are we spending billions of dollars to go kill other people when we can't feed our own? Why are you taking my tax dollars to fund Hellfire missiles over there while I'm catching hell over here not being able to put food on the table? Eventually, I think that mm -hmm. it's just too costly, both foreign and domestic, for the United States to continue down this reckless path of blind support for a genocide. You know, eventually yeah. the war crime tribunal will happen and the U.S. Uh -huh. is directly complicit in war crimes. Eventually people are going to cut you off because the whole world sees this in one way mm. and your colonial entities in the West are still trying to hold it down in a way that the world has moved beyond. The Gaza is the spark that's ignited the whole world. What is, what is our duty of Muslims and their non-Muslim friends that are pro-justice you know, and, and uh, you know, on our side when it comes to this? 
What's our duty, in your opinion, that to accelerate this betterment of our and, and, and making a more fair and just political discourse and political norm? I mean, there's, that's too much probably for one podcast to, <laughs> to talk about everything, but be sincere and be strategic. Be sincere and be strategic. Mm -hmm. Look, as a Muslim, you always have to factor in dua, you always have to factor in the concept of ummah, the concept of unity, the sanctity of al-Aqsa. Um, the concept of correctness and trying to do things in a way that's pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not betraying uh, the end with uh, means mm. that are displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So sincerity is extremely important for all of us, right? To renew that on an individual and a community level. That's strategic. What works, not what makes us feel better. What works, sustained, mm strategic protest, sustained strategic boycotts, sustained strategic media work, mm -hmm. sustained, 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 right? That's what it is at the end of the day, staying the course. You have to stay the course. We get too comfortable. And here's the wake-up call. Like if, if we were okay on October 6th with the continued growth of settlements, the continued suffocation, of whatever is left of Palestine, the daily routine transgressions on Al-Aqsa and the emboldened racist, you know, Netanyahu uh, approach, like openly, right, racist and fascist mm -hmm. Netanyahu regime, like if you're okay with all of this, then that's a problem. Mm. So if you were comfortable on October 6th, that's a problem, right? It wasn't okay. And it can't be okay once things, quote unquote, calm down. Right? Mm -hmm. So we have to be sustained. And, and by the way, sincerity, subhanAllah, one of the ways that the Ulama speak about sincerity uh, is uh, sincerity is the continuation of ta'at, is the continuation of acts of worship once other people are no longer watching and other people have moved on. That's what sincerity mm -hmm. is, right? Sincerity in your salah is that your salah is not only in the masjid or in, in public or when other people see you, it continues in your home. Sincerity in your qira'ah uh, of Qur'an is that it's not just in public, it continues in private. Your charity, right, continues in private. So mm -hmm. it continues, it extends. That's part of what sincerity uh, actually is. Yeah. Really, uh, um, it, it's kind of a mirror of so sincerity and strategic action. It's a mirror of ma'adinatan ila rabbikum wa Primarily, it's, we're, we're doing this to, to serve Allah as an opportunity to get close to Allah, to absorb our moral obligations before Allah, but also we want to see, you know, the, the, the outcome. Um, to end on a kind of positive note, how, uh, we were talking earlier about how this, how Gaza has united the Ummah. Mm -hmm. How has Gaza united? I think it, look, it's, it's united us around common cause, alhamdulillah. Yeah. And we have to recognize that even when we don't have Gaza, we have La ilaha illallah. We have وَاَتَصِمُوا بِحَبْلِ اللَّهِ جَمِيعًا وَلَا تَفَرَّقُوا the rope of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being the Qur'an. Um, we have so much and it's all interconnected. But let it just be a message. Mm -hmm. We cannot afford to tear each other down. We have a greater enemy in front of us. We cannot afford to make our causes in the name of defending the deen, destroying each other. Mm. Because the deen right now is standing with the people of Gaza and standing together. 
I want you, you know, here's how I'd reason with this, because I was having this conversation with someone else. The Prophet talks about this idea of like a person who does not have shame. Right? If you have no shame, then do as you wish. And, you know, uh, if a person is not shy uh, from the people, they're not shy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and vice versa, according to a narration from Zayd bin Thabit. Right? So if you're not shy from the people, you're not shy from Allah. Can you imagine? A person from Gaza sitting in a room with our typical bickering as American Muslim communities and British Muslim communities and like the shots and the nastiness. Can you imagine like that person sitting on the couch right now watching how we talk to each other? Not you and I, but the way that some of us talk to each other, the way that we act towards one another as a community. Can you imagine how disgusted they would be like, this is what you're doing right now? This is how you're, this is your priority right now. Mm. Allah is always watching us. And there is always something greater for us, inshallah, to come together in regards to. So I don't want, you know, we talk about, maybe we should end on this note. We talk about the hypocrisy of the temporary ceasefire, mm. and we need a permanent one. <laughs> <laughs> so I see some brothers uh, calling for a temporary ceasefire in the community, right, when it comes to division. <laughs> You know, it's like, I even saw it on a local level, you know, yeah. subhanAllah, like this, masajid, yeah, like two masajid that are going at each other and like, you know what, right now, let's put aside our, you know, let's put this aside for at least the next month or two and then let's, you know, once Ramadan starts coming around, well, you know, Shaytan gets very active again, so, yeah. you know, it's a temporary ceasefire versus a permanent ceasefire. We, we, need, we need a permanent brotherhood. We need a permanent brotherhood. So let this be a wake-up call for us as well, inshallah ta'ala. Wa tafarraqu. Do not be divided. We need each other right now. Our people in Gaza need us to be together. Our people in Palestine need us to be together. Mm. Let's find more productive ways to disagree. Disagreements are normal. Yeah. But let's find productive ways to disagree and then find common cause to unite with the Ta'ala for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, yeah. yes, no temporary ceasefires. Let's <laughs> permanently change our behavior, inshallah ta'ala. Um, just a quick question. Finish this sentence. If there's one thing you want people to remember from this episode, it would be. Hasbunallah wa ni'mal wakil. Hasbunallah wa ni'mal wakil. Hasbunallah wa ni'mal wakil. That dhikr is so pertinent right now. Whether you're Ibrahim being thrown into the fire, or whether you're the Prophet as Ibn Abbas said, it's the words that Ibrahim said when he was thrown into the fire. And it's what the Prophet said when the people said to them, Inna nasa qad jama'u lakum It is what Aisha radiallahu anha said when she was slandered. It's what Imam Malik rahimahullah used to have written on his ring. Hasbunallah wa ni'mal wakil. It's such a sweet, powerful dhikr. Because it's not just Allah is enough for us in terms of power. Allah is enough for us, period. Ni'mal wakil. He's sufficient. Allah is enough for us emotionally, Allah is enough for us physically, Allah is enough for us spiritually, Allah is enough for us as a community, Allah is enough for us as individuals. And Alhamdulillah. Hasbunallah wa ni'mal wakil is Allahu Mawlana wa la mawla lakum. Right? When when the Prophet instructs Umar to say to anhu to say to Abu Sufyan and Uhud, Allahu Mawlana wa la mawla lakum, right? We have Allah, you have no one. Right? So that is a manifestation, that's an expression of Hasbunallah wa ni'mal wakil. 
Hasbunallah wa ni'mal wakeel. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. If they can say it in Gaza, we can say it in the comfort of our homes. And we can mean it, inshaAllah ta'ala. And we can revive the meaning of that great dhikr in our hearts with the night time.